0: Hi, this is Andrea Harkins. Welcome to the Martial Arts Women podcast. This podcast is devoted to martial art women who make a difference. Don't forget to check out my inspirational and how-to books, The Martial Arts Woman, Martial Art Inspirations for Everyone, and How to Start Your Own Martial Art Program, all available on Amazon. I hope these books inspire and encourage you to be the person that you want to be. Hi, Denise. Welcome to the Martial Arts Women podcast.
1: Hello.
0: Hi. How are you today?
1: I'm doing good.
0: I'm I'm really excited to have you here and You've been recommended by someone to be on the show, so uh, I always look forward to chatting with new people that I don't know, and I don't know you at all, so it's going to be a lot of fun today.
1: I'm looking forward to it. Where do you currently live? Um, I'm in Boise, Idaho.
0: Oh, okay. Boise, Idaho. Um, how, how long have you lived there?
1: All my life. I'm a native. Oh. One of oh, the okay. <laughs> well, One
0: good. Of- I know. I've heard good things about it, so...
1: Uh, yes, a lot of people have, but yeah, uh, yeah, it's great. It's great here.
0: Good. Yeah. Well, today we're gonna talk about your, sort of your martial art background and being a woman in martial arts. So I guess we'll start with the beginning. What martial arts style do you practice and why did you begin learning martial arts
1: to begin with? Um, so I study um, at Parker's American Kempo Karate and it began i started back in uh 94 when my son was about six years old we had actually watched there was the movie about bruce lee and he was watching that and he was he was pretty intrigued with it so we thought well maybe that's something he and i could do together so there was a kung fu school that was close to my house that i went to to um, inquire about maybe signing up and taking some classes and such but it happened to be closed. So I know that there was a school that I just saw opened that I drove by every day from work. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just stop in there then. So that happened to be Boise Kimpo Karate. Um, and the reason I ended up there is because the Kung Fu school was closed. Knew nothing yeah. about either one, you know, so it was kind of unique. Um, and so we started there and my st- my son um, did it uh with me for a while but as you know they his yeah. older life happens and uh, it's not as much fun training with your mom you know right <laughs> <So, laughs> right he but he moved on yeah. but I stayed with it um because it I was always very athletic growing up always involved in sports and stuff and then you know, once I got married and I um, became a mother and working in that, that went away and I always kind of felt a hole somewhere. And so when I started training again in Kempo, it kind of filled that void that I forgot that I had missed and then it just became far more than what I ever thought it would be as far as it wasn't just a matter of working out, but it you know, it became family. It became a lifestyle, so.
0: Yeah. I hear that similar story from a lot of women Mm -hmm. who start because their children begin in martial arts. Mine was the opposite because my husband and I were martial artists. And then when we had kids, we pulled them into martial arts. So ours was backwards. They they started because their mom and dad um, was started. And did they stay in it? They did. Two of them became black belts uh, under us. Uh, The other two were... Uh, enjoyed other sports so they became athletes in uh, basketball and football and and that kind of thing so but it's a lot of fun to be a martial art family for sure Um, so I'm glad you stuck with it it's really important that women recognize that they can do martial arts and like you said it's sort of this little forgotten gem sometimes like women forget that that's an option as far as being an athlete or just improving their lives that martial art there are martial arts available for everyone who is interested in learning and you don't have to have even a background
1: in it right well and so. I think also for women a lot of times you know as you you know you you enter into marriage and you begin yeah. to raise family and stuff like that mm-hmm. You put your prior your priorities change and oftentimes Correct. you forget about what's, you know, what you need for yourself, but especially mm-hmm. in the beginning years of when you're when your kids are young, because they require a lot more from you. Um, but then you realize, like I did when I started doing this, that I my life improved dramatically just because of my mental health well being and all of that, because now I was back to being active again, doing something that I love. So it wasn't everything wasn't always centered around Somebody else or something else. yeah was, I, I had a central focus point for myself as well too, which I think only just helps you become a better uh, person and better mother, wife, whatever because now you are helping to improve yourself as well. so yeah,
0: exactly. It really is important that we have a little bit of focus on ourselves. I, yeah. I've had I have four children, so I know how hard it is to kind of maintain that balance.
1: Yeah, like I only have one, but he ran out of the womb. And so I never stopped. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's funny.
0: (laughs) It doesn't matter how many you have. It's always uh, a lot of work and effort and love. So
1: yes, very much so.
0: Um, So eventually you stuck with this for a while. Um, What is your current rank? Um currently right now.
1: I'm a six degree black belt um, under India of uh, advanced Kimball training system, which is an organization that um, a school owners under um, senior master Johnson Bull that has started. I want to say back in. Um, 2002 2003, I think, um, and um, so I've been with the same organization from uh, in, from the time I walked into the school, it was, right. uh, school, yeah. Good,
0: that's so nice almost. to hear. What was significant about your promotion to first degree black
1: belt? One of the big things is at that time, I was the only female locally, and we think also within Idaho, we weren't aware of anybody else that was um, being promoted to first degree black belt in the Kempo system um so that was kind of a a big accomplishment for me and being able to set the, the the example for other um women and girls that were coming in um to we had four, four schools here in the Valley that were all under the same organization, and so um, I, that was a big responsibility that I also took on to make sure that, you know, I would lead by example and, and be maybe a, a resource and a mentor for those coming up through the ranks. Um, The other one is, you know, my instructor was always really good about uh, kicking me outside of my comfort zone. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and the big one was my first degree black belt test was down in Las uh, Las Vegas. At that time, we were a part of the Mr. Speakman's organization. So I went down and tested down there with, um, not knowing anybody else that was testing outside of uh, one other individual that owned a school here as well with me so that was um, a big thing because you know in a test you're it's already you're a little nervous as it is but you have the people that you've been training and working with but to go and do a test with people you have absolutely no, no idea how they are how they move um contact level or any of that kind of stuff it's just, it, it's it's a little bit more um challenging um but then you know as the test gets going you get into your mindset and you move forward so um I think that was those were the two big things about my first degree of black belt was the the accomplishment of um just being a black belt but also being one of the first woman here in the state of Idaho and then being forced into an environment when I was testing with people that I had no idea who they were. Um, and we met the day that night that we were testing. So,
0: yeah, that's
1: exciting and challenging for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And scary. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, you don't, know, you know, but again, you, mm-hmm. you, you get in that mindset and you just go. You know, yeah. Know. I mean, yeah.
0: It's, you just figure it out as you go. And that's one of the things that really martial arts teach you about life is that, flexibility and thinking because something's always changing and if you got attacked for instance you need to know on the spot what to do but maybe you know five different things to do right. so you have that flexibility in your mind to be able to adapt to a situation and it's probably right. something you are forced to into for that task. well it,
1: you get used to you know obviously the people that you train with so you know how they move you know how they throw something at you yes. so you you are um uh, you have a trust factor with them, and so when you enter into an uh, an environment where you don't know them and you haven't been able to build that relationship, what that trust factor comes about is okay. How controlled are they? You know, do and so you yeah. have to learn that on the spot real quick. But, you know, nothing else is probably more similar. It uh, resembles more of what would occur out in the real world, uh, so to speak, as much as you can, um, to where you aren't uh, absolutely sure of what's going to be coming at you. And so um, you adapt. Yeah. Just like you said. Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. Now, you later uh, decided to actually take over the Boise Kempo Karate School. How did that come about? What changed that? that that opportunity came about for you
1: so my instructor uh, mr moore who's the one that opened up the school decided to uh, go full-time with the police department in in town here he was a reserve officer for a long time while he owned the school but he um, wanted to go full-time but we wanted to keep the school going because there was a good student-based population in there and so i decided to Um, take it over and um, uh, just continue really kind of continue on what we what was already started. It it was kind of it was nice because uh, I was one of the first students that um, he had when he opened the school. So I was there from the beginning. So we all built the school together, all the students that were still there. So to carry that on, it was a lot easier than going in and just starting cold. And so I took it over. Um, I worked full time during the day and then pretty much had that full time at night and on the weekends. And then Mr. Moore was still involved um, as time would allow, um, usually about once a week, he would come in and still teach group classes, still involved with all the testing that was going on. I still had my lessons with him. So um, the whole idea was just to continue what we had already, you know, what he had started and what everybody had built that was currently there and not to let it just Mm -hmm. close and everybody, everybody be left out in the cold with nowhere to go. So yeah.
0: How long, so how long did you do that?
1: Um, I did that for uh, about 11 years. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, And then I believe that later you ended up closing the school and I'm sure that was a difficult decision for you what came about that made you make that decision? Yeah. And how did you feel about that decision too?
1: It was it was tough. I mean, there was a couple of factors that played in it. There was some um, economic issues that were going on at that time in mm-hmm. the world. You know, I don't yeah. remember when gas went through the roof. And, yeah, yeah. And, and, and so a lot of schools <laughs> had challenges back in um, that time period. And I want to say it was in the uh, late uh 2000s yeah and so people had to make decisions upon what was in, what was a want and a need and as far as how okay. they, their money is going to be spent and so mm-hmm. uh, a lot of us saw a reduction mm-hmm. of our uh, student population because people couldn't afford to have uh that type of pay for something like that when they really needed the, you know the necess- necessities. yeah yeah, so that was one. but the major one was that I had a promotion at work, which um, required me to travel a lot. So I was getting to the point of where I was gone one to two weeks a month and and I had a good um, instructors that were aligned under me that would take over the school when I was gone, but I didn't feel that I was able to provide. Um, everything that I needed to, to the school, to the students, because I was only there part-time because of my traveling. And so I just made the decision. I had to wait until my lease was up. And I just made the decision due to, you know, kind of the reduced student population, but also not feeling like I can give them everything that they needed because of the challenge of not always being there. That was where my decision came to close the school. Okay. Um, but I moved it and and still taught some students out of my um, garage when I closed it for a little while. Um, but then again, because of the promotion at work, I it just I got so busy in that that um, at, uh, my focus, I you know, I just didn't have yeah, yeah. the focus for my students because. Uh, Work was twenty four seven almost because of the nature of what I did and and what I um, the oversight that I had to have.
0: Well, tell us a little bit about where you were working and what your job was, and maybe sure. uh, fill in that information.
1: Um, well, I worked for the Veterans Administration Hospital. I started there um, uh, almost out of high school. I was there for thirty seven years, um, and I worked myself from from the bottom up. Um, so came in as a ward clerk working on the wards in the hospital and eventually gone into management. And when I retired, I was a service chief. I was the chief of health administration services, um, which provided all of the administrative support for the clinical side of the house, um, and the, and, uh, the eligibility and all that, that, that re- mm-hmm. that's required to, to manage uh, the patient population. But I was also um, on a national team. I was a, a part of a group of fifteen people. There was five we were five teams that were tasked to go around and help um, implement a new model of primary care to all of the VA hosp- hospitals without within. There was probably, you know, there's at that time over seven hundred hospitals and clinics. And we would be called in to be consultants to help facilitate that um, change. And then in the last couple of years, I was there as well as being full time as um, at my facility. I was asked to be, uh, we had lost our regional director that was kind of oversight over my section of the hospital um, asked if I could step into that role temporarily until they could hire somebody. And so that meant that I had oversight over the hospitals in Washington, Oregon, Idaho, and um, Alaska. So I was a national consultant. I took on a, a, a regional position, but I was still also doing my position at work. So my days were were filled. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That
0: sounds,
1: that sounds um, like a... So, yeah. Um, I did, yeah. So that's, um, mm-hmm. uh, I did that for 37 years and uh, decided to retire. I was going to do 40, but decided I was able to retire at 56, um, which is not, you know, it's pretty unheard of in this day and age. But because mm-hmm. I went into the federal, I actually started with the federal government straight out of high school in a, um, they used to have a program called the Young Adult Conservation Corps, and it, what it was was to uh, kind of an intern program to introduce you into government work, as at that time, they were having a hard time trying to find people that wanted to work for the federal government. So. Okay. It- it brought you in and then it would help place you after that year internship and it focused on people between the ages of like 18 and 24 and so that's where i really started and then my first full time position was with the va um a year after that so oh,
0: that's very interesting yeah how so, did you feel about retiring because i'm nearing those years um, you know
1: it's, it's <laughs> and i don't it's know what challenged. it will be like yeah <laughs> it um I had a lot of I I mean, at the time that I retired, there was a lot of things going on in the VA that we were in a mode of where we were just in crisis mode every day. And that's been on for like six years because of some facilities out there that weren't um, Mm -hmm. adhering to what the policies were for certain things. Well, we ended up we were on you know, CNN every night. And then yeah, when yeah. you're working for the federal government, you uh, you answer to Congress. And so when things aren't going right, then you're in front of Congress every day, which we were. And then everything is, um, you know, they're trying to implement things. And so I was always in that crisis mode, but I always loved the work. But at the end, I just couldn't do the crisis mode anymore because it was just, it, it was nonstop. And, and Plus the fact that I only had, you know, a, f- a few years to go till 40 when I found out that financially I would be losing money if I continued to go mm, okay. Would, oh, <laughs> sign me up. But it, Okay. But it is a challenge because I, you know, I felt um, I didn't want to become irrelevant, right. you know. All my life I, you know, I've had either I was the wife or then I was the mother and I was the school owner and I was, uh, you know, in this position of the VA. So I was always in a role where I was leading and doing something and then all of a sudden there's nothing. And it's it's a different mindset. Um, and so it took me about a year and a half to acclimate into. Um, the new role in this new phase of life of, you know, am I still important? You know, where yeah. am I still important at? Because you go from always having re- all those huge responsibilities to having no responsibilities. Well, so to speak. And and yeah, so yeah. Um, um, it's, for me, it was challenging. I mean, some people, they just absolutely love it. But I missed um, having... Uh, the work that I did and I miss the people that I worked with at, at the time I retired, I had uh, around 160 employees. So I was always, you know, managing that and, and stuff. So you just kind of miss that activity um, and you have to get, you know, for me, I, I had to get used to um, not dealing with that on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. So it's a challenge. Um, yeah. You know,
0: I think uh, it's that sense of purpose that people miss. Um, exactly, that just kind of seems to be the the trend. Interesting thing I'd like to point out um, is that when I have women on the show, I always learn things about them that helps exemplify how skilled we are in so many areas. You mm-hmm. we know, we're not just. Oftentimes, we're not just the martial art instructor or the martial art school owner. Uh, For you, example, this long career that you've had, these high-level responsibilities and these challenges that you've had through your career uh, over all these years uh, and making such a big difference. It's an important story to tell just that we are more than, you know, um, we do more than just own a school or operate a school or operate a program or do martial arts there's always this other history and information behind who we are so it's important to share
1: what um, we do. Yeah, I agree and, and, and throughout you know the 30 years that it, I have spent in the martial arts and the many many people not, not just the the women but also men as well too and the responsibilities that so many martial artists have outside of martial art I mean there's just some amazing people out there that I think martial arts attributes to their success and vice Mm -hmm. versa. I mean, I think that collaboration of both your personal and your martial arts, um, that's what helps build the person and helps a lot of people succeed outside of uh, the school as well, too, because of the skill set that you also um, obtain in the martial arts.
0: Yeah, it definitely helps. You have the confidence factor, you have the I don't know, just realizing you're more capable of things
1: right than you yeah. really thought.
0: I mean, that's one of the biggest lessons martial arts taught me was, sure. wait a minute, I'm I can do all these things. I had no idea I could do this. And well, that just and also, led into the yeah, led into and, the career things as well.
1: Yeah. And I, for me, um you know, it was also the part of when you own a school, well there's that skill set about being um, uh, you know, uh, owning a school and and how you Define yourself being from being a school owner and an instructor because you want to be successful in the school. So I have to know the business aspect of it. But the other part is being the instructor. And for me, I think the biggest takeaway that I got from that outside of, you know, the self-confidence is the ability to communicate, the ability to publicly Mm -hmm. speak. And yes that grew for me at the school, that really projected me further in my VA career because I was now put in positions where I was speaking on a national level and such for um, uh, different projects and stuff that if I didn't have um, Kempo, I don't know that I would have excelled to that point because um, I did not like public speaking. Um, But after, owning the school, after teaching at seminars and, you know, throughout where you're always out there and in a position to where you have to communicate what it is, what you need or how to do something or whatever. Um, I I got to the point that I was very comfortable in public speaking. Um, I I came to the conclusion that the more you know about something, the easier it is to get up there and to talk. And so I think that and then also, you know, as you're dealing with um, senior management and stuff like that, to be able to communicate from for a variety of different people from a senior management level to entry level positions, there's, you know, different methods of how you're going to uh, communicate something to to whatever group that is that you're talking to. And I really believe that um, teaching in the martial arts and owning the school helps me do that because i i went straight to the va from high school i did not go to college so my education was the va and then i supplemented that education as well with owning the school and 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 martial arts you know so that's kind of how my education was as i looked at it
0: this is really a critical topic the communication factor i found the same exact thing that my husband and i owned a martial art program for many years and and a few of them and learning how to speak to a group of people learning how to teach instruct have empathy work with other people helped me tremendously but i also had uh, a fear of public speaking for many years in my early my earlier years and i remember having to do a, a i guess like a seminar type thing at work one one day and i was so nervous about it because I, I was just so afraid of public speaking. Like, I was afraid of the rejection. or afraid right. of not doing it right. The whole thing. And I did it, but I know that my voice was quivering. And they asked for feedback from the audience, which it wasn't a huge audience. It was like 40 people. Um, but one thing that somebody said was, she's too nervous. She needs to go to Toastmasters. Yeah. So for year i still had that fear but when i started one of my other jobs they actually had toastmasters available there which is for people who don't know it's just a program where you learn how to become a better speaker and communicator a right. very good program so i started doing that and so that combined with martial arts then one day i just woke up and i said to myself there's nothing to be afraid of just be yourself and right. i think that was the biggest issue i had was i was trying to be like somebody else how would they say this how would they do this well no it has to be you and then the other piece is uh, is knowing your material that right. if you if you know your material you know your topic you won't be as nervous And right. i think because i was speaking on topics that i was really not that familiar with to begin with i really created that but well it helps I, yes
1: i i also think the part about you know i think one of the biggest things with martial arts is helping you get over the fear of failure Uh Um, because you're, you know, in the martial arts, you're out there, you're doing things that might work. It might not work as you're training, whether you're in a test or you're just during class or whatever, but you have failures in there and it's okay to fail. And, and it's where, you know, what did you learn from that? And so it was kind of a um, rewiring of my mind to say, okay, so I get out there and if I do flub it up, okay, you flubbed it up, but what did you learn from it? And how can you prove from that point going forward? You know, and so I think that for me, um, my Toastmasters was Kimpo, so to speak. Um, right. You know, I had, but I also had some pretty good, it, it, it was funny in the, in the VA world, when I became a manager, they at that, at that time had absolutely no training programs for manager and when you come from the um, workforce, and then you become the manager over the people that you used to work with, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's tough. Huge, <laughs> huge, yeah, that's a huge challenge. So I learned a lot at the VA through trial and errors as well too. I made a lot of mistakes there, but with Kimpo, it helped me understand that it's okay. It's okay to make a mistake. It's okay to fail at something. Now what can I do with it? And let's make it better next time. And so that helped kind of alleviate some of the fear of getting out there um, in public um, and talking. And, you know, I, I also had to deal with a lot of conflict management in the VA and that training there helped me in the Kempo world as well, too, um, understanding how you communicate with people who don't agree with you and, and stuff and and how you can make it productive and maybe have different opinions, especially. Um, I, I know in the Kempo world, I, I'm sure it's probably the same in all martial arts, but there's always a disagreement about it, who's doing what right and who's doing what wrong yeah yeah and I learned it this way and this way and you know and and so the ability to have that conversation and it be productive and not turn into an argument or something that unfortunately I think where a lot of people are in life now uh, there's a Steve Covey quote that I love that says you know we we spend our time in conversation uh, listening to rebut but instead of listening to listen. Yeah. And so yeah. as someone's talking you're sitting you're you're you are the whole time thinking about how are you going to rebut whatever it is they're saying so they're free not really hearing what they're saying. And I and that quote's really always stuck with me when I first heard it and it was relevant in not just the business world but also in the Kempo world as well too which To me, help make me a better instructor. You know, when you're dealing with people that might be having challenges understanding the material, and that, or who want to argue with you about, you know, why you think they should go do it this way versus this way, your ability to have that conversation with them and and you know, uh, and again, be have a productive conversation so that they're going to get value out of it.
0: Yeah, I think uh, first of all. Saying and understanding that it's okay to fail will change your life forever. Sure. Yeah. When you do that, I know it did for me. I would never be sitting here doing a podcast. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't until I turned 50 when I started pursuing my dreams. That was not just because I didn't have confidence. I did have the, some of the confidence by then to believe in myself and do things. But on the other hand, I had put off following a lot of my hopes and dreams over the years. Granted, I was busy, four kids, right. working full time, working a sure. martial art program. Um, and then I woke up when I was 50 and I was like, okay. Well, should I start these hopes and dreams now? And the only reason I was able to do that is because I learned through martial arts that it is okay to fail. It's okay that not everything's going to work out 100%. Yes, you want it to, but you know, life is life. So right. these days I just try whatever i want i tried this podcast a few years ago and i thought i like this i'm gonna keep it i'm gonna keep doing it and i tried blogging 10 years ago i'm still doing it but well and- i've tried i've tried many other things and they they didn't work out and i thought that's okay there's so many other things to to work on
1: and, and i would i would say you probably got something out of it i know one of the biggest things i always tell my students especially when they're getting ready to test or or do a tournament or whatever and how nervous they are and i said <laughs> What's the worst thing that can happen? Life goes on. And it's a matter of how you get past that, and you know, um, to me, that's just kind of the motto I have. If I'm gonna, I, I force myself to get out of my comfort zone and and do it. I. If it's something that I think is going to be a challenge, I don't think on it. I just I say, okay, let's let's get it over and let's get it done with, and I'm far better for it at the end now. Whether you know how successful it was, actually, to a point, it doesn't matter to me as much as the fact that I did it. Right. And um, and so that's how I how I finally started thinking about things. If I'm not going to die from it, then do it. You know what? Yeah. Wh- what do you got to lose? Yeah. Um, And I think that's been a huge part of my um, success as well, too. And so,
0: yeah, I think as we're discussing, uh, the biggest point here is really that martial arts are more than just the physical thing that people think about, Mm -hmm. that it increases your own self-improvement over, over your life. And even if you only take a martial art for a short period of time, right say you only take it for a year or a couple of months you try something you're still going to find something from it that's going to change your life in some way for
1: the positive sure for the rest of your life it really has offers that i I think that also gives the ability if you learn how to do self-assessment you know and and i and i look at that when i would be um getting ready for a test or whatever i mean in my in my training regimen that i did oftentimes um, I videoed everything that I did, whether it be a class, whether it be a tournament, whether it just be me working out, whether it be just a couple of us getting together. And I, I would use that as a tool to go back and look at it. Because what I see in my mind is, you know, my mind, my techniques are always perfect in my mind. Um, yeah, yeah. I say, I say that the application in reality happens, but... But when I started to do that, then I was doing a self, in my opinion, a self-assessment of I was I was that third point of view looking at the video and saying, oh, you know, that didn't look so well there and I need to improve on that. And being able to self, you know, self-critique without being too critical, because sometimes I think we are our own worst critics, but using that ability of self, self-assessment self to help improve what it was, whatever it is, was my goal that I wanted to go for. And, and I kind of took that and used that also as well in my personal and professional life. You know, maybe I had a meeting at work didn't go well that I was, you know, I was the facilitator for then I would self assess afterwards and say, OK, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? And I got a lot of those tools from I, I believe from Kempo and the martial arts mm-hmm. of being able to say it's OK to look and see what you did. Um, and and don't be so critical of yourself, but look and see where the changes are coming from. But also uh, it's really important to be able to take. um uh, from your instructors, from your tests or whatever, where you're getting feedback to take that feedback as constructive and not take it personally. I think that was another big one for me is when somebody would give me feedback and it may not have been what I wanted to hear, but not take it personally, take it as a something that says, OK, well, I need to work on that and moving on. And when I was able to do that, then I was... Um, That helped with the confidence level as well, too, is not so concerned about what people think, but say, okay, well, they have a point, they see something, what can I do to change it? You know, I think that was a big part as well. And you really put on the spot in martial arts because you're always, you're always out there trying to strive to be better, but then you're placed in an environment for a test or a tournament of such where you really have to, you're on your own to be out there to do that. And um, and and how you prepare for it, and then how you get the feedback afterwards from the judges or from your instructors or whatever um, about how well you did, what can you improve on, what worked, what didn't work, and take that um, as a positive and not you know be um, have your feelings hurt over mm-hmm. feedback coming back. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Great points, and I think. It is very helpful to be able to do that self-assessment and, and learn how to do that through the martial arts yeah, and apply it to your life. It's very helpful. I know that you've received an award fairly recently, and I'd like you to tell me a little bit about that and that experience, and then we'll talk about what your schedule is like these days.
1: Sure. Um, I was nominated uh, for the Kimball Karate Hall of Fame in Las Vegas, Um by um, Barbara White. She had put my name forward. So in 2022, I was inducted into the Kempo Hall of Fame at the, for the Las Vegas um, Hall of Fame Museum there. That's exciting. Yeah. And I we think will be it was, having
0: Barbara on the show as well. So
1: and that's great and, and well-deserved. And I think it meant more to me that it was that, that award particular hall of fame is where you, it, um, your peers are the ones that are putting forth um, the names of people to be inducted. And so it meant more to me that it was coming from somebody I knew from Barbara uh-huh. acknowledging the work that we've done together with the symposium and that. Um, I that meant more to me actually than just than the award. I mean, the award is nice. Don't get me wrong, but uh, just yeah, to be I know what you mean. Yeah, just acknowledgement from your peers um, that meant a lot to me.
0: Yeah. So, what keeps you busy these days?
1: Um,
0: now that you're retired, you're doing your school. Um, what do you do these days, for?
1: So arts? after I retired, um, when I made the decision to retire, my son informed me that they were having twins. Um, So, yeah, so the day after (laughs) I retired, I started watching my grandkids full time um, when they were one years old. So I had them full time up until they started kindergarten. Um, There's a reason why you have children young, just saying. Yeah. Yeah, um, I loved it, and you know they're my they're my BFFs. We are very yeah. very close, and still are. So I'm still very actively involved in. Even though I don't have them every day, I have them when there's no school. I also volunteer at their school. Um, And so there's that relationship, which is extremely important to me. Um, And and then in, you know, the martial arts world, I do, I teach out of my garage. Um, I also train once a week still with my instructor. We do now what's called senior Kempo, meaning that uh, we don't necessarily go at the level that we used to Yeah. yeah. So we aren't uh, moving as fast (laughs) and we don't. We don't recuperate um, as quickly. Um, so, I do, we still work out once a week. I also train, I took up jujitsu about a year ago. So, I train in jujitsu uh, twice a week. And I always, um, when I was, when I owned my school, I had uh, I, one of my accomplishments that I was pretty proud of. It was I was a coach for full contact fighters, which It's kind of rare to find women out there that are doing that, and so I had a handful of full contact fighters for kickboxing um, that um, I trained, and so I wanted. I continued after I closed my school. I didn't have the um, school to go in training anymore, so I uh, continued that training um, at a school where I also now do also the Muay Thai twice a twice a Mm -hmm. week, just so I can keep my skills up for that. And, and also it's, I want to remain active because I want to remain as healthy as I can. You know, as we get older, we look at that other, you know, you hit that 50 and you start looking at the other side of life. Yeah, um, yeah. I want to maintain, you know, good, good health. I want to be as active as long as I can be. So, you know, a lot of it was to, to stay in shape and to do that. But I also still love, um, that part of the martial arts as well, too, the sparring, and and then the jiu-jitsu has been a big challenge. It's a a whole new level, Um, but I'm enjoying that, so I I do that throughout the week, and then I also, um, I still travel around. Uh, For a while, I didn't because of COVID, but now that things have kind of, um, you know, that's gone by the wayside now, I'm getting back out there and going out to Seminars. I just got back from uh, teaching at a camp honoring uh, Sigan Labounty, uh, who is who we lost a couple of years ago, but was uh, one of our main uh, leaders throughout the Kempo world for many many years. He was a, a direct student of Mr. Parker's. I taught at a camp in Boston, so um, it was nice to be out doing that again. And then as much as I can within my organization, if I if there are women out there that are testing, I try to get out to those schools to be there to help support them to represent the women of Kempo and just um, be there to support them as they're going through, for, uh, um, usually for Black Belt. So doing that, and then I picked up the sport of pickleball. Oh, okay. <laughs> which I find fun. I'm very competitive in. Um yeah. so um what you know in the beginning we had talked about how you you're not sure what your new role is after you retire. Well yeah. yeah now I look and and my schedule is so full of different things that and it's all self-imposed. I'm like I'm I'm overbooked in something how can yeah. I be overbooked yeah. Yeah. And now I find that I'm like, I'm too, I'm just too dang busy now. I need, I yeah. need a day off. But it's like, well, <laughs> people go, well, you're retired. And I said, I know, but I just, <laughs> I just, so I, I find, I have found things to help, um, uh, take over what I was doing before, but it's things now that I want to do, uh, during the time that I want to. So yeah,
0: that's, uh, pretty
1: busy but it's nice to be able to travel outside and and go to the different camps um again i was able to go down to austin for mr duffy's camp and it was great there where he was promoted to um 10th degree at that time so it was honored to be a part of that camp for that didn't know that going into it but it's nice getting out again and i and i like to participate in the camps that aren't necessarily within my organization, but they're within the Kempo organization. So meeting new people have opportunity to learn new things from new, you know, from a variety of people to me, that's still really important.
0: Yeah, that's great. Tell me, and you mentioned this word a little while ago, symposium. Tell me (laughs) about this um, and I believe it's, it's a Facebook group maybe more than a Facebook group, but you have a Facebook page for the Kempo Women's Symposium. And so tell us about that a little bit.
1: Back in um, 2014, um, Barbara White, who you're going to have on here in a couple of weeks, uh, was asked um, to do a symposium event at the International um, Karate Championships in, um, I believe it was in Long Beach at that time. And so she got to, she brought together a bunch of women, uh, a panel of women, and they answered questions um, related to kind of like what you're doing here with women in the martial arts and such. And she decided to continue that going forward. And then COVID hit. And so we, you know, the ability to meet. Um, face-to-face wasn't there anymore, so it got converted over into a Zoom type of um, event. And I was asked to be on, um, I think, the first Zoom as one of the panelists to talk about my life in the martial arts. After that, uh, Barbara had asked me if I would be on board with um, joining her and um, another one of our um, our, our founding men, members, um, Heather Plussing, to um, help facilitate and continue doing these Zoom symposiums. Um, we were doing them twice a year. So what we, um, the Kimpo Women's Symposium is um, the opportunity to bring a panel of women together through a Zoom call that is recorded. So you can either watch it live or you can then look it up on our YouTube channel. Um, and bringing in a variety of women off of various topics. Um, most of the women centered around in the Kempo world on an international level. And having that opportunity for them to come and tell their story. And having the opportunity for people out in the community to hear their story. And, and you know, oftentimes women are not at the forefront of of martial arts. It's just, that's just reality. We're not... Um, The major players in it is still male dominated. I don't know that that will ever change. So there's not a lot of conversation out there around, centered around the topics of um, the challenges women might have in training, various things, you know, from how do you do it while you're raising a family? How do you find the time? How do you deal with certain situations at the school and stuff? So we wanted to provide an opportunity to get women to start talking. So we did that Zoom and then came up with an idea, hey, it would be great since we're only doing the Zoom twice a year, maybe we start like a social media thing to where we can highlight women. And, and so people can see that there's all these women that are out there that would probably, nobody would ever know about because they're just not out there up upfront in, um, in the martial arts world. And so it kind of started with Instagram, but Instagram's pretty limited to what you could do as far as um, having the conversations like you do on Facebook. So I created a Facebook symposium page. um, And on there, it's just kind of, um, in addition to our Kempo Women's Symposium um, panel that we have twice a year, only now we're able to do on a daily basis, highlighting of the women that, that are training out there. I do what I call uh, Facebook stocking of kempo pages. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, I share um, kind of compiling all these different schools and tournaments and um stories out there in the Kempo world for the women that I see online and on Facebook and I compile it and, and, and share it to one location on our women's symposium page. And the whole idea behind that page is just to highlight the women and tell the stories of the women in Kempo. That's it. It's not to discuss how you do a technique. It's not to discuss my instructor is better than your instructor. It, um, it's very tightly controlled. I I um, approve all posts that go on there because it is n- meant to be nothing more than a positive experience, uh, a place to go for women who might have some questions um, regarding their training, some shared experiences that oftentimes, you know, uh, you're in a group of people. Somebody might ask a question, but five other people had that question but were afraid to ask. That you know, opportunities there. Um, we've created a resource page to where I encourage people to share um, uh, things that they have written. Um, We do a lot of emphasis on women's self-defense classes. Uh, We've created some documents for that. If schools want to maybe um, look, that are looking into starting this women's self-defense class with an idea of first initially bringing the women into that and then they'll sign up for the Kemple classes later or even just if they're doing the women's self-defense classes. We have some documents in there to help them get started if they want to use them to as a base to start with them and they could tweak. Um, So it's just it's kind of a resource page for women in Kempo, as well as a page to highlight the achievements of the women in Kempo that are out there.
0: That's that's awesome. Uh, I mean, that's basically what I do with this podcast. It's Mm -hmm. not specific to a certain martial arts style but it is to highlight women. And some people have said, well, why don't you have more famous women on there? I mean, I've had quite a few women who are like the well-known women, Sure. Um, but I really want to highlight women like you, like just, I don't care. Even if you're a beginner, I want women to be able to share their experiences and have a place to go to listen to other women. There's so many stories on this podcast that are fascinating. Some are even, some are disturbing and, and, and yet that woman overcame that difficult situation because of martial arts. There's just so many stories to be shared and, and it's great that you're doing that symposium.
1: And uh, I, I ran across your, so I do go out and, you know, like I said, my stalking, but also just a lot of research out there of, you know, things, maybe Kempo um, uh, is maybe the main focus on that. But mm-hmm. I've been sharing a lot of your podcasts to our symposium page for since we started it, which was two years ago. Yeah, and, thank you for that. Yeah, sure, and uh, and it is. I think is. A, I think it's extremely important. I, one of the things that I've really been highlighting here lately is women supporting women. I I don't care what martial arts you are. I mean, we are focused about kempo, but every now and then I'll post something on there that's not necessarily kempo related, but it is a a story about how. Uh, Women are supporting women in some fashion because it's extremely important. So like what you're doing here, though you're not Kempo, you are still trying to tell the stories of women in martial arts, it's Mm -hmm. universal. And, And to be able to provide opportunities, again, for a resource for people to go to to say, oh, you know, they had the same experience as me. What did they do? And maybe they can find some answers. And then on the other part of it, we've had a really strong following of um, the men as well too, wanting to hear. Well, and part of what we try to do um, relate to them is if you want to be a successful school owner and increase your enrollment of, you know, the women and the girls yeah. in your school, you need mm-hmm. to understand what's going to keep them there. So we want to have those conversations about, you know, how do I sustain and keep the women in the school? And, you know, there's things that have gone on for so long, again, it being martial arts in general is normally a male-dominated area. And there's a lot of culture that comes with it as well, too. And there's still things that are out there being said, and not intentionally to be mean or whatever, but I, I remember just as an example, there was um a uh interview that i was watching on and one of the old seniors of Kempo who's been around forever and i take in consideration age as well too so that's part of um some of the belief but you know the the comment was well when women come into my school i'm going to teach them to hit like a man i went well what does that mean you know mm-hmm. how's a man hit and and i found a really good article that that was actually in um an article about women who train in jiu jitsu about how to reframe that so i'm going to teach you how to hit how to Be as efficient as you are based upon your size. You're going to work with people. We're going to talk about make sure you're training with somebody on and at the at their ability level, not based upon their gender, you know, and trying to get rid of that um, idea of we have to separate male, female. Yeah. You know, that's so that's one of the other things that we try to do with the symposium is the other side of that conversation with um most of the schools are owned by men and how you know how you talk and how what you need to do to keep the women in your school to get it to grow i mean as we want to see more women training and so that's another responsibility that we kind of took off um with the symposium yeah very and, important and the other mm-hmm. big one is you know the with the symposium page not even thinking about how it was going to grow, but it has grown so much on an international level. We, Barbara and I were just invited to talk to a group of um women, Kempo girls from Kenya. And that was a big experience, you know, to mm-hmm. for us to go and have a Zoom call with them and answer their questions about, you know, the women in Kimpo, what can they expect? And it's a new experience for them. And there's, you know, a lot of um uh, things to take in consideration for them and how they do their training and stuff. But the ability that people are reaching out to us to say, hey, can you come and talk to our group or or whatever? I think that kind of helps uh, emphasize the success that we've had with what our um, our mission is for the Kempo Women's Symposium.
0: Right. Very interesting. And thank yeah. you for doing that
1: yeah Um, a lot of women are going to learn so
0: much and just have that place to go um, to learn more and to understand and and just to connect with other women there are a lot of martial art women out there we just don't always have a voice or a place to go right to to be
1: seen or heard exactly and and i don't think it always necessarily has to be those that are famous i mean I think there is, as you said earlier in, you know, the um, when we were talking, there are so many people out there with such success, not just within the school, but outside of it, that bring those shared experiences together. We need to tap into all of that, not just because somebody's in a movie or was successful in tournaments or whatever. Everyday people are what Mm -hmm. make it grow and that make you feel like, oh, I can do this. You know, it's it's attainable because you have a realistic goal so yeah Uh,
0: i'm one of those every day i say that all the time i'm an everyday martial artist i learned martial arts in a small town i I taught it in a small town how would how did i ever elevate myself to have a podcast write books be in magazines write for magazines it was just because i had stories that i wanted to share and then i knew women needed a voice so Like we all make a difference, no matter what your martial art or how long you've been in it, you're you're making change in the world.
1: Yeah, uh, and, and your your podcast uh, again, um, I've shared several of them, and we'll continue to share several of them as well too. But um, I thank you for joining our symposium group and coming to there to also be a voice um, mm-hmm. on that page as needed as well too. So yeah, thank that, you that, for the. That, women supporting women you know i think to me is a is a huge a huge uh, factor
0: yeah i thank you for that invite and i'll try to be a little more active there as well the last question then what would your advice to a woman who is interesting and interested in trying a martial art what should
1: she do <clears throat> so to get i started think- I think one, um, you need to identify what your goal is. What is it that you're trying to accomplish? Is it because you just want it for self-defense? Is it because you want to remain physically active? Whatever the case may be. Um, Help identify that. Research the the, um, opportunities that you have in your area of what's available. If you know people that are actively involved in it, talk to them. Get their advice about it. Um, If you're, if um, you decide that you want to take the step and and um, seek one of the schools out, you know, if they don't do an intro class, I would question whether or not you want to be there. Um, I think you should have an intro class. I think you should be able to watch a class. Um, I think if they're not open minded to having that, then to me that's a red flag. I think that if you're able to go into those schools and maybe talk to the people of theirs, ask them why they're doing it, what are they getting out of it, you know. um, And at any point, if you're in a situation where you started and you don't feel comfortable, it's okay to say, yeah, this isn't the place for me, because not every martial art is for everybody. So you got to find what works for you. Thank
0: you so much for being on the show. It's So much great information, and I really appreciate your time. I'm so glad we were able to connect.
1: Thank you for the invite. I appreciate it.